This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Friends, enemies, people who I've never met, spoken to, or thought about once, which is sadly like 99% of you. I'm sure most of our listeners, if not every single one of them, are great people, but I don't know who any of you are, so uh, I'm not going to call it one way or the other. Anyway, if you're part of that group, our listeners, good, bad, ugly, whatever, uh, congratulations. First of all, you get a brand new episode of the Lookout Landing podcast. What a gift. What a treat. Second of all, the baseball season is here. Um, unlike last year where all of our season previews were like, oh, if they do the season, if it's this many games, if it's that many games, we have a little more clarity this year, although with a virus and the players uh, being a little ornery, I'll say, uh, we don't know what's really going to happen. But no matter what, tomorrow, or I guess today when you're listening to this, April 1st, 2021, the Mariners will play their first game of the season, and then after that, they will, again, hopefully play 161 more. Um, so we made it. Pat yourself on the back. We got through all 500 spring training games, and now we're going to talk about what to actually expect from this Mariners roster, which is basically formed um, as they embark on this regular season, which is going to feel... It's going to be weird, Kate, because it's like a regular season again, but it's going to feel weird after last year, you know? Uh, I'm already tired just from doing spring training and, um, yeah, I, I just, I feel like, I don't know what it would be like to actually be playing the games. I can't imagine how tired they must be because it is, I mean, I've been, it's a little like having to put on pants with a button after spending, <laughs> every time I put on pants with a button, I'm a little like, Ooh, did no, I really like, do this every day? Like, oh, I'm a debutante all of a sudden? When did this happen? <laughs> Uh, pardon me, sir. Yeah, seriously. Uh, oh. So, I i mean, baseball pants, famously, no button. Well, they're not hard pants, we could say. There's right. a, there's some elasticizing going on in no, there. No, baseball, so. baseball pants are comfortable. It's the, the stuff you have to wear under it that's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. But like yeah. a, a flowy baseball pant is a very like practical mm-hmm. thing to wear. Yeah. Yeah, Mitch Hanniger's pants look really comfortable. It looks like he's got a nice... They almost look like pajama pants, but well-fitting ones. Like, not the way that Felix's were always kind of like giant pajama pants, like the dad coming down in the middle of the night to walk the dog. Kind of, You know, that was always his look to me. It was not uh, chic. I, I did not love it. The giant pants. You did a great piece on baseball pants, actually. Sure did. Yeah. Pajamas is a term that got thrown around a mm-hmm. lot. It was right around, I think, I'd have to go back and reread it, but I think it was like the turn of the century, like 2000s, when the players started shifting to really baggy pants. Yeah. And yeah. Like Felix was for sure part of that. Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, they all wore very baggy pants. And I'm sure they were very comfortable, but I agree. Not chic at all. Not a no. great yeah. look. The skinny, the skinny jean. And that was something that really started with younger players is they, it's funny to see how those styles evolve in like, you know, as markers of it. Like right now, millennial or no, Gen Z, whatever, the young, the young children, the, youth. are, uh, <laughs> the youths are flared pants only, flared pants, wide leg pants, big pants, after everything's been like super skinny pants forever, so... I'm wondering when we'll start to see that. When are we going to see our first pair of flared baseball pants? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, that would be dope. I, I don't have high hopes. But... Would, can you imagine? It would be so disastrous. Like, there would be so many flare-induced injuries. <laughs> like... But it's funny, too, because um, today, actually, the MLB or someone put out a report of, like, the highest-selling jerseys, and it's, like, all the players you'd expect, like, all superstars. And then I think, like, seventh was Kike Hernandez. And it's like, oh, if you have a personality, you can actually sell jerseys. And, like, Kike famously wears really tight pants, which is why I was oh, thinking yeah. about him. But, like, yeah. you got to think that that helped a little bit because, like, he's not a – he's a good player. He's not a Mike Trout, Manny he's Machado. He's not a star, no. Yeah, no, but no. the kids – some enough people love him to buy his jersey in mass. And I think yeah. his pants are a little bit to do with that. I'm so excited when Julio makes it on the scene and everyone has to have – 
like the kid backwards baseball cap. I don't know what style evolution Julio's going to bring to the game. Like maybe a partially untucked shirt, like maybe, but I mean, we've seen a lot of the Latin guys do the button all the way down thing. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, un- I think untucked would actually be a violation. Like they, yeah, they I don't know in, if you, but can you can do, do buttons all the way down to your cleavage if you want to. <laughs> Well, I don't I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm sure he's going to come up with something and it's going to be great and it's going to inspire that whole, you know, generation of kids like when I was growing up and everyone did the Griffey. So. Right. Also, John is here. Hey, John, what's going on? <laughs> John just, <laughs> just jumped in. John biked to his studio. Uh, what's going on with you, John? Uh, not too much. I am I am a little bit shfetty on uh, the day before <laughs> opening day. It's absolutely beautiful, and I am sweltering as a result. Um, I am not in the best shape of my life. Uh, there's also a dismayed corgi nearby me, which is probably on the recording. But uh, I am psyched for opening day, and uh, and psyched that you guys are chatting about Kike Hernandez as a top ten jersey sales because I. Saw that earlier as well, and I thought that was wild and very neat. Yeah, it sounds like Cedar the Corgi is a huge Kike Hernandez fan as well. <laughs> Cedar saying opinion. he wants his own little little Kike Hernandez jersey. Well, Cedar would also fit in, I believe, the engagement photos that he uh, that Kike and his uh, then fiance took, where like she was holding Kike far yeah. away, so he was tiny. Cedar yes. looks like that at any given moment. Yeah, it's pretty. Those engagement photos are pretty fantastic. I just, uh, I mean, the Mariners aren't going to win a lot on the field. I think I'm pretty comfortable with saying that, at least not until we start to see the some kind of infusion that helps the the offense. But now we have news that Kyle Lewis is going to miss the first maybe couple weeks, which it's doesn't very feel confusing. great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were like the tweets from the beat writers were not. Uh, a lot of times they are very, very synced up, like to the point where I'm like, why do I follow all of you when all this is the same tweet iterated five different times? But then somebody messes it up and you're like, oh, actually, it's really nice to see all of those things together. So, yeah, things were a little confusing, but it what what we have divined is that Kyle Lewis's bone bruise, which is on his surgically repaired knee, which is a bummer. Um, is not responding to treatment and not going anywhere like they hoped it would, still giving him pain. So he will start the season on the IL, uh, and Jake Fraley and Taylor Trammell will be manning center. Uh, Jake Fraley, I assume, will be mostly in left, but I don't know. Will we see Fraley get a little run in center? Uh, I don't know. I doesn't. Did he play center field at all in spring training? That's a legitimate question that I don't know the answer to. Because I know Trammell was out there a lot. I don't know. No, if I think ever I only saw center. him in left and right. He... I, I think he might have been out there once or twice. But yeah, he's. He, I think he's definitely going to be the second or maybe third center fielder, um, especially since they seem comfortable giving Sam Haggerty time out there too. John, what can you do about this dismayed corgi? Because this is. <laughs> I mean, this is not going to be tenable on the broadcast. We've already gotten complaints about our sound quality, which I just want to reiterate, like, we do what we can. None of us are podcast engineers. Um, We do not have budget to hire a special podcast person who can, like... We have no money. (laughs) We have no money. Like, we continue... the The most money we see from this is Matthew's eight free <laughs> 10 free bitchin sauces which Let's sadly go. we cannot we cannot translate into funding for an audio engineer for the podcast so. well i'll do what i can i will say i am trying to give my uh other roommates who are currently doing their day jobs as much space as possible in my house which is a limited uh sort of possibility i am watching the dismayed corgi currently paw at and kind of stomp on uh his owner's glasses which do appear to be (laughs) at ground level which may be what he's currently fixated on so i'm gonna go grab those i'll do my best i'll see if i can come up with something as we record here uh okay fantastic pandemic life anyway we're talking about jake greatly um i think he is um 
passable in center field, like more so than Sam Haggerty, but no, I mean, there are often times where his roots are adventurous and even in right to left, he can look like a different, like, I think he's a much better right fielder than left fielder, um, which was where he was for a lot of spring training, but Mitch Haniger is a great right fielder and I don't want to see Mitch Haniger in center anymore, so... All of this is a little contentious. I honestly feel like the next couple weeks are going to be Fraley versus Trammell for who gets to stick on the roster when um, Lewis is back. Because it seems like you don't need both of them, right? They're both lefty hitting outfielders. Like, do you need both Jake Fraley? Well... I don't think you need Marmalejos. I think he's the one who would who would be gone once Kyle Lewis returns. Yeah, so I didn't realize that Marmalejos had been placed on the opening day roster. And he, I thought the team was, and I did like a spring training stock watch up down because I watched all the spring training games slash consumed them in some form. So I have insights, I feel like, to share with people uh, who maybe weren't listening to a radio game in the middle of the day on a Tuesday uh, but one of those things was Marmalejos worked his way into that second line of starters, and I think that that bodes ill for him, uh, especially with Ty France on the roster. Uh, Dylan Moore didn't have a great spring training, so maybe he's not as locked in at second base as we thought. It definitely looked like he was getting having trouble getting his timing back at times. And remember, he did miss a lot of the season with or a portion of the season at the end with um, the concussion because people, for some reason, will not stop hitting Dylan Moore with baseballs. John? Um, I I think Marmo is almost a, a beneficiary of the low expectations for him, um, where, like, Fraley and Trammell both are players who at, have had more prospect expectations and are still, I think, each... Well, Fraley's, I think, two or three years younger, maybe three or four years younger than Marmo, and Trammell's even younger. So I think they, the team probably wants them to get consistent plate appearances, whereas they probably care less if Jose Marmalejos is, you know, staying fresh and getting those dev developmental reps. So by that nature alone, I think it's more possible that, you know, he may stay up or just get more big league reps because it's like, yeah, he's a bench bat and he can play first base or corner outfield if you need. Um, but you want Fraley and Trammell to play as much as they can. Mm, good point. Yeah, I think with the to go back to the Lewis thing, like I don't think his injury is going to be a real problem. Like to me, it's more of a bummer that we don't get to see him right away than like a real concern because Scott Service kept saying even in spring training, like. Oh, if we really needed him to, he could play. And then I guess that just never, like that continued into the regular season now, I guess, where he's like, oh, I guess if he really needed to, he could play, but we're not going to have him play, which I guess makes sense. Like you don't want it to make things worse. And like, it's not like, like you said earlier, Kate, like the Mariners aren't going to win a lot. So I don't think you need like every single inning of Kyle Lewis in order to make sure you <laughs> get over the playoff hump or whatever. But um, to ha- like to see Taylor Trammell is exciting, and I hope that he holds his own in center field and all that, and like gives us a reason not to just be like, "Oh, when's Kyle Lewis coming back?" Because that is going to be like the thing kind of looming over this beginning part of the season. Like, okay, we're already off to a weird start. There's no Kyle Lewis. Like, we're gonna have to watch some guy who's probably not that great play left field. Like, you know, this is it's gonna be very easy for the same old Mariners crowd to chime in. So, like, the hope is that Taylor Trammell can sort of like distract people enough and they go, oh, look, I'm actually doing all right. Like, don't worry. <laughs> and then, and then we get Lewis back and then hopefully we have Trammell and left Lewis and center Hanniger and right. That so, would be something I'd be very excited about. Taylor Trammell is the equivalent of uh, jingling your keys at a toddler. Like he's a, he's a bright, shiny object to distract us from all the upgrades this team didn't make over the off season. That is correct. Yes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I buy that for sure. I am excited to see. Trim- I mean, he's so likable. It was a very good PR move to put him on the opening day roster. He is going to be the story this year. He was the story of the spring, um, which I think was partially like Trammell's play, 
was undeniable and he was so kind of electrifying in a lot of games that were really just plodding along boring and then he'd do something really fun or make a make a splashy play in the outfield and you know there is that but then also I think definitely the Mariners are embracing that and kind of running with it and recognizing that like this is a really good player to market in addition to his skills on the field like he's just my parents my dad watched uh, had didn't know anything about him but I was watching the game with him um, the one that was televised, the last one that was televised Saturday night against the Giants where Tramel had his big interview and dad was like, Who, I, what a great kid. What a great guy. I love that guy. And I was like, oh, a, a Taylor Tramel fan just got minted. And uh, I wonder how many times that's going to happen over the course of the season. That's really cool. though. That's what it's all about. And I feel like that will happen a lot because it's easy to forget for us, especially that a lot of people know nothing about the minor leagues. So, like opening day is going to be a lot of people's introduction to Taylor Trammell. And I think like just his personality and like how excited I imagine Trammell will be, that will be palpable through the TV screen. So I think he is going to make himself a lot of fans Absolutely. right away. Um, and then just to put a bow on this, um, so Daniel Kramer, one of the Mariners beat writers, is the one who said that uh, Lewis will go on the IL, the 10-day IL, but that recovery could be a matter of weeks. Those are Daniel Kramer's words. I don't think that's going to happen because of the, like, oh, he could play if we wanted him to thing, but it is definitely a weird way to phrase that. Like, is it going to, like, you know, like why would you say the recovery could be a matter of weeks if the rest of your reporting has been he could play tomorrow if they really needed him to, you know? So confusing also, nonetheless also i feel like weeks like weeks are such a difficult like days okay the, because the il is days it's 10 days it's 60 days whatever uh but when you start to be like weeks well like are we talking one week are we talking three weeks right. like are we talking two weeks are we talking because pretty soon weeks start to add up into months and that starts to chew away at a season that can feel really long but then suddenly it's June and, you know, the Mariners are trying to maintain respectability in the division, at least, let's say. And, um, you know, the time goes faster than you expect. I always feel like opening day creeps up on me somehow every year, even though this year I was staring daggers at it the whole time, counting down, willing spring training to be over. Such an unfun spring training. No television, no ability to go in person. Like, I wanted spring training to be over this year more than anything and it still feels like opening day came up on me unexpectedly yep it sucked anyway let's uh let's pop around a little bit because i want to make sure we get to the questions we got um great questions as always and this one is sort of on topic this is from andrew spicciati spicciati on twitter um, they said, what are the circumstances under which you would support the Mariners trading Mitch Hanniger at the deadline? And then Andrew notes, none is a perfectly valid answer here, I think. <laughs> so the only reason why I brought this up is not to get John riled up right away. but because Give me head of, up, as Kate is fond <laughs> of saying. <laughs> it just does kind of tie into the outfield conversation. And like if Trammell turns out to actually be a guy who can like stick all season, then guess what? You don't really need... Mitch Haniger, because as we all know, Jared Kelnick is just waiting in the wings. So I think if Tramel has like any kind of juice, even if it's just like a like a Capri Sun worth of juice, <laughs> and Haniger is playing well enough to go get like a number two or number three starting pitcher, I would do that deal in a heartbeat. But I know that other people think much differently, especially one Mr. Troopin. I there is a context in which it makes sense. The context is you've got Kyle Lewis back looking healthy, looking sustainable. You've got uh, Trammell looking good again and continuing to look good. And in some way, shape, or form, Kelnick is up and is looking dominant already. And the team is not competing anyway. If that's the case and you've got you know a team that really wants to sort of ship you multiple, you know, low-level prospects and you know some some instant performers you look at that but i do think and we were talking about this in uh in debating something like this earlier kate i do think hanniger is more valuable to the mariners not not like he's untradeably 
more valuable, but I do think he's more valuable to the Mariners than he is to the average team because he is, as a position player, they're only, this front office is only real, like, success story that is still there at the major league level. He's the only guy they went out and got and he became an all-star here and he can has shown and hopefully will once again be playing at an all-star level. And when you're a team that's trying to rebuild and trying to bring up a bunch of players and buy in, especially when you've done plenty of things or at organizationally that might question uh, or, or might cause people to question whether they should buy in. It makes a huge difference to have that person who can be both a leading by example and leading by, you know, communicating and, and be that sort of go-between uh, developmentally. So I, I do think, much like Marco Gonzalez is that for the team, uh, for pitchers, I think Mitch Haniger should be that and can be that for the Mariners, uh, for the position players. And I think there's a lot of value there. I disagree with that just because I think that Haniger, everything he's done has been on his own, like his swing tweaks that he went out and he found the guy that he was working with and um, this off-season training. That was something all him. We noted and have noted how the front office messaging almost seemed to discount Haniger, like acted like he was not at times even maybe expressed disappointment that he, because frankly he did, uh, and we've heard this from sources, he did kind of work out in a way that the team didn't want him to, uh, working out in his garage or whatever when he was supposed to be resting and obviously probably dealing himself some more damage in that. Um, so some frustration with the team on that end. I just, I don't see that as him being this badge and I don't think they need that either. With, Pitching where you're moving people in, I mean, the problem has been like people like Mike Leak, who weren't brought up in the organization, haven't been buying into these organizational philosophies, but you, the people that you have coming up now are people who have been bathed in that philosophy, and um, you do have Marco acting as that. So I don't think on that level, Hanniger is all that valuable to the team. I do still think he has got a lot of value, though. But unfortunately, he lost a significant portion of his value just from sitting on the shelf. And now he's got less time that he is going to be under team control. And, um, you know, it. I wonder what the return, the return could be for him. And I think, like, he's valuable to the Mariners just because he is... An, if Dylan Moore regresses, if Tom Murphy, who I'm very concerned about, regresses, if Luis, Luis Torrens doesn't take a step forward... If, like, any of these various kind of very fringy offensive producers don't produce, Hanniger is your consistent source of offense. It's like Hanniger and Ty France. I still think Ty France is probably, uh, I don't know, is Ty France the team's best hitter? That's another question, but um, in that way, I think he's more valuable to the Mariners just because there are so few sources of offense. I wonder... Do you have any idea of which team is particularly outfield and offense poor who might yes. be trying to go for it? Yes. Who who would be a good landing spot for Hanover? Who also have a farm system where they, like San Diego, where they just had a bunch of Taylor Trammells lying around and were right. happy to part <laughs> with him. Who, uh, who is that? Who is that perfect match? I think the Braves have been repeatedly connected to the Mariners, at least in, in those discussions. And I think that's still a fit. They have Marcelo Zuna for multiple years. They have Acuna um, and they have Christian Pache. But And one, Waters, but waters, waters might be might be light hitting. We don't know yet. Right. Well, we know and, Keith Law doesn't like him, which yeah. honestly makes me like him more. But. <laughs> well, you know, I mean he's yeah, he's he's un it's just kinda of hard to tell. But Hanniger, I mean, when you're a team that you're, the Braves are probably going to make the playoffs this year, either as the division winner or as a wild card. They've been, they've made the, they've won the division the last two years in a row. Like you're a team that you're exchanging, you know, yeah. that talent, and it doesn't cost them that much money. Um, and they have there's, great, there's they have great pitching. They need yeah. that little bit more offense. Yeah. And there's yeah. probably going to be a universal DH next year, so then you know it fits even better. Um, 
San Diego is actually another team. They have right now Tommy Pham and Trent Grisham uh, in their outfield. Grisham starting the year on the IL. He should be fine, but uh, Pham is not particularly a health, um, <laughs> you know, a beacon of health himself. Um, and then uh, Will think, Myers, right? Yeah, I mean, Will Myers is sort of like been in left field been in third base been in you know first base but like at this point they've kind of filled up all the spot all the spots um and no dh again hurts them a bit so um i'm really interested too if san diego makes a real run at the dodgers and the dodgers are just kind of edging them out how desperate san diego is going to be to you know maximize their window they might be and there are still lots of intriguing prospects in that system so i I like that i like that idea i think also really all three teams at the that are sort of real contenders in the nl central could be uh at, at the deadline when you've got the brewers the cardinals and the cubs all of whom could make the playoffs but probably you know when they know that they're in it at that point they might be interested in in making a move like that so there's there's going to be a market the main issue is just how much are you able to get for a position player for a year and a half of a position player and in recent years that has not been as lucrative as a pitcher in part because an ace starting pitcher makes such a bigger difference in the playoffs and at the deadline you already have a much better sense of whether you're going to be in the playoffs so you're willing to make that commitment because you're thinking all right well you know we'll trade for someone like Sonny Gray or or um you know someone who you know you're going to start in a playoff rotation um and and Haniger you know even if he's great is only going to get up three or four five times in a game so um. I have to say too like um it sucks to think about training Hanover, but if you want to think about the long-term health of the ball club, like you have to balance your going for years with your rebuilding and your restocking and maximize that restocking and doing things that seem painful on paper, like trading Austin Nola, which I hated at the time, uh, is a is a restocking move. I mean, we're already seeing, and it doesn't help that Nola and Altavilla are both starting the year on the IL. And and Austin Adams. And Austin Adams. No, yeah, literally which, that uh, entire trade. They're on the IL. It's amazing. Yeah, that's. I mean, it sucks, but. I know someone tried to old takes me expose me on that, and I was like, "Look, sir. I mean, if you're gonna assume that like." all three of these players were health hazards, which none of them, I mean, Austin Adams, definitely, but he was supposed to be on the return. So, um, I don't know. I don't think that's totally fair to Uh, take into account, but it was at the time I really questioned the, because I don't think Murphy is. And again, what I should have seen it as at the time. And if you really want to old takes expose me, it is just such a strong vote of confidence in Cal Raleigh, which is what I think that ultimately is, is Tom Murphy's here is the stopgap. You'll notice the way they talk about him is constantly praising his leadership skills and not so much, uh, what he does behind what he does at the plate. They talk a lot about his ability to catch the, to catch the pitching staff. Uh, but the praise for Terenz, that's one of my hot takes for the season is Terenz eclipses Murphy in playing time. And we get Cal Raleigh at some point and Murphy is kind of squeezed into like a DHE type coachy type role. Um, Matthew, I know we want to move to another question, but I do want to last second, just put, put a, a mild rebuttal on Kate's original uh, point on, on Hanniger, which is that, I think Hanniger, yes, is very self-motivated and and has sought out a lot of his own things. But he also started a lot of what he did working with AJ Pollock and working with Tim Laker back when he was in the and working with Jake Lamb back when he was in the Diamondbacks organization. And Laker was the hitting coach for the Diamondbacks. Now Laker is here. Laker is the, you know the big league hitting coach and a lot of the people who are currently coming up or are about to be coming up especially on the position player side you know Tramel not drafted in the organization Kelnick not drafted in the organization um you know you you Ty France not drafted in the organization um you know you 
there are a lot of, I mean, Terenz not drafted in the organization. There's a lot of people who, I mean, even Dylan Moore not drafted in the right, organization. Right, for Same sure. Hagrid. But all of those, like, all of those guys are guys who are only getting their chance because of, like, they were excess at their other sure, places. You but, know, they but, weren't, ma- so they're a little motivated to take whatever Seattle says as like, this is my route to playing time. And they're all, they're all of them super happy to be here. And I, I think grateful to be here. So your buy-in is a little intrinsic at that point. I I think there is, there's a little bit built in, but I I think it still does matter to have the best player on the team be also be an advocate for what the coaching staff is telling you. I'll agree with that. And and, and I think that that's what Hanniger can be. I'm not saying he, is necessarily, but you know, if you look at the Mariners roster right now, who I think Hanager is the likeliest five, you know, four or five win player. Um, you know, the likeliest legitimately deserves to be an all star player yeah. if he's healthy, and having that type of player make you know, not only be making your team better, but also encouraging your young players coming up to, to follow his lead. Is is useful. Yes, for sure. Tip for all the young teachers out there. Figure out who the most popular kid is mm-hmm. and l- get that kid to like you and leverage them into... Because you'll get everyone built in if you have a positive, good relationship with that person <laughs> who's kind of setting the tone for the rest of the class. I'm serious. Like, you can set the culture with by getting the person who is kind of the most visible to their peers, the most respected by their peers the on board with what you're trying to do little tip from me to you um last thing i'll say about this a team we did not mention as a possible hanniger trade i also think is the philadelphia phillies who already optioned scott kingery down so they're not like high on him uh they're gonna start adam hazley in the outfield probably like mitch hanniger is definitely (laughs) uh, exactly mitch hanniger is definitely there's a world where brad miller is playing the outfield for the phillies so like mitch hanniger should probably be on the phillies (laughs) And also, I am in of the camp, and I know you can roast me for this if you want to. I am of the camp where I want to trade Mitch Hanniger for a established big leaguer. I personally, Matthew Robertson, am tired of waiting on prospects to get here. I know that makes the most baseball sense. Ooh. But I want like a Mitch Hanniger for like a Zach Eflin. Now I think we're cooking because the Phillies have Spencer Howard coming up, so they can replace a starting pitcher. And Matthew, they need will, an outfielder. I will. <laughs> I will punt you to Philadelphia if they trade him for Zach <laughs> fucking Eflin. I just want to see this happen, so now I'm rooting for this. I, I have watched um, Zach Matthew Eflin shaped starts. football flying across the continent. Um, I and I know, like, idea. this is just a me. I know you guys are definitely, like, carrying the prospect flag here. I just, I'm so tired of, like, trading for a player. And it's like, okay, we'll see him in four years. No, like, I totally agree. I mean, really, it, it, and I... I and I promise wrapping on this, but like it matters. What matters to me right now is the sort of star level ceiling because the Mariners, I think, have at this point a lot of players who are like, yeah, they can probably be fine at positions, but like they only have a few players right now who look like, oh, if they if it comes together for them, they're going to be like an all star caliber player, and you need a few of those to be a consistent competitor, especially in a division where teams actually spend money. If you're in the, you know, AL or NL Central, you can get by on 90 wins. You need to be better than that in the West or the East. That is fair. That's totally fair. Okay, let's talk about Yusei Kikuchi. I feel like we haven't really given him a lot of attention this offseason. I think for me, at least, he's a player who is very easy to forget is on the Mariners. And I don't mean that in like a, oh, he sucks. It's just like there's so many other pieces of this rebuild that we focus more on. And we got a question about him, which is why I want to bring it up. This is from at Pitching Tone. Uh, They said, how good of a season does Kikuchi have to have to earn the back half of his contract? So for those who need a reminder, Kikuchi is in his final year before a team option kicks in. That option is four years, $66 million. So essentially, Kikuchi has to pitch well enough for the Mariners to decide, okay, we're comfortable giving you $66 million over the next four years. And frankly, we have yet to see anything that tells us Kikuchi is worth $66 million. He was pretty all right last year. Like the home run rate was way down. He was getting more ground balls and more strikeouts. Uh, Batters went from hitting 293 off him in 2019 to 
236 in 2020. So there's improvement happening for sure. I think he's he seems to be a, a bit of a tinkerer. Like he likes to change things up. So maybe this year the tinkers make him even better. But I think if we're going to go like actual statistical benchmarks, the main thing I want to see is at least like 150 innings. Like he has to show that he can actually like hold up over a season. Uh, and like an ERA under like four three would be nice. He's literally never done that, so that would be cool. And then like I don't know, two wins above replacement. That would just be enough for me to be like, all right, we can trust Kikuchi. I don't know if the Mariners are going to feel the same way, especially because sixty six million dollars is fairly significant. But I don't think it's going to like blow up. I think Kikuchi is trending in the right direction for sure. But I do. I also would understand if the Mariners have like very specific goals that he has to hit in order for them to give him that option. Yeah i I would need to see a little more. I think personally, last year was really promising. Matthew, you you put it excellently. Like all the peripherals looked really good, and he just you know got pretty unlucky. Cluster with the old cluster luck is you know people just <laughs> scored. People got on base and scored a bunch, and then he would get a bunch of strikeouts when people weren't, you know, on base, and and there wasn't much reason to think that that was anything more than unfortunate sequencing. But I would need to see him be like a three to four win player. I'd need to see basically him be what he was last year, but see that ERA down in the low fours or you know even below four. I think he has that type of skill set I want to see him get to 180 innings I want to see him make 30 starts Um, in his first year he made 32 starts but he had a couple of those intentional sort of piggyback or like short starts that the Mariners were using intentionally to sort of help him not get hurt which was great unfortunately now he had a really short season so you know it's sort of weird but like I think he needs to be really good, unfortunately. Um, and that's that that is it's tough cuz only so much that's in his control, but they got a good defense. So, yeah, the ground ball thing is really encouraging cuz yeah. the Mariners have a great defensive infield. So that to me is like, okay, that could actually unlock yes. some better luck, you know, just cuz like you said he got very unlucky like balls on the ground rarely become extra base hits. Like if he can just scatter some singles mm-hmm. and then get those strikeouts like he was, he should be all right. But, I mean, I, it's never good if you have to say, I think he has to be really good, unfortunately, implying that he can't be really good. Uh, I put in the spring training stock watch that I referenced earlier, I had to, like, basically create a new category for Kikuchi, um, which was, it was, like, stock up, stock down, you know, holding steady. And his was just question mark, question mark, question mark, because he only pitched eight (laughs) innings this spring training. Uh, Some of it wasn't televised. He pitched a lot in the backfields. We didn't see. Um, I don't think it's a great sign that they're not talking about him, because I feel like if he had done really well in the backfields, we'd be hearing the Mariners PR machine talking about, you know what a strong outing he had or we'd see clips or whatever and there's none of that so I have a foreboding sense um which sucks because I feel like once again that's a swing that this front office has taken that has not worked out so this is Kate inventing a new type of guy and then getting mad at him (laughs) (laughs) what Yes. Like, oh, yeah, I had to make up a new category, and then also I don't like that category, and I don't feel good about it. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, mad, I'm, I'm mad he forced me to invent the category, and uh, I'm holding it against him. No, but it just, I, I feel, when I search my feelings about Yusei Kikuchi, they are mostly bummer feelings, and I hate that, but yeah. those are the feelings there are. John argued that, Kikuchi should have gone in the holding steady category, but also that that was a bummer slash disappointment. Right. Well, it's so tough. Like he's he's throwing ninety five miles per hour, over ninety five miles per hour consistently. That's like yeah, he was up a little in spring training. That was one thing that I was able to get out of a, a he, broadcast. He has been in like a really condensed period, incredibly like early James Paxton esque, where it's like. All of the things you do are what the best pitchers in baseball do. But then, like, and like, they're like, no, 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 no. 
Absolutely, I think. Because, like, no, hear me out, hear me out. He's had multiple pitches that are elite caliber pitches by themselves, but he cannot consistently hold it together. And for Paxton, a large part of that was the injuries that would interrupt his good stretches, and then he couldn't stay consistent. Kikuchi, I don't know if it's purely mechanical or what it is, but he has been unable to be the pitcher that he looks like sometimes all the time or even close to all the time. He he I the the stat I I referenced when I wrote about him was he led the league in 30 counts last year, which is like he didn't have an insane walk Ugh. rate, but he would just have he would give away so, so inefficient. many he would give so away so many plate appearances and he would he was so inefficient that he would put himself in positions where he would like stumble backwards into four and a half five inning starts he didn't get in he didn't get through seven innings any of his outings last year and you know last year absolutely totally weird year you know that's not the end of the world but like you he sure but he also doesn't get anymore i think the benefit of adjusting to american batters which i'm sure is very and i had a huge I just had a huge amount of latitude for him on everything yes. in his first year. He's yeah. moving to a new country, new language, new culture, new team, unfamiliar everything. Mm-hmm. And he's adjusting to a totally different style of batter. The baseball is different even. I mean, yeah. The, no, but, yes. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. He hasn't had a normal circumstance yet. Like first no, year is his first fair. year in America and that's his dad fair. died. And then, yeah, yeah second year is fair. pandemic. So, yeah. But he's got to be good. He's He just ha- he has to be good this year. Otherwise... You know, 66 million dollars is so much money i mean yeah. at the end of the day that is yeah. so much money i don't so. think it's crushing for them to pick it up if, if only because i mean he'll be i don't uh, want that money 30, dedicated I, I think it's too much money to dedicate to him at this stage in his career i'd be fine with them renegotiating with it for yeah. lower but I, don't, I think it's too much for what we've seen so far yeah i don't think I he's agree. earned it yeah Completely agree. $66 million could get you like three or four different useful players. And you yeah. know we love to spend the Mariners' money. We love spending the money that is not ours here on this podcast. So hmm. I think that that's... John is the most free spender of all of us. No, but, but I think I... we all recognize that money could go to something maybe more... That would be more impactful to the yeah. team. I, I like don't want big, to... big, bat. <laughs> I don't want to watch... The picture that I've seen for the last two years, if that's what we see again, I don't want to watch him for four more years. Yeah, big agree. Okay, let's go to someone who I think we all have enjoyed watching and would love to watch for four more years. This is a a question that was emailed to me. I mentioned in the last episode. If you don't have Twitter, you can always email me uh, with your questions. And Aiden Sonis did that all the way from Connecticut. Uh, Aiden asks, who do you think will replace Seager in 2022 and will tie France always be a DH for the Mariners? So France is the guy that I think we all have enjoyed watching. He's been a revelation at the plate. But a huge question surrounding him is, can he play any infield position? Uh, I think probably not. I think DH is for sure his best option. So then who do we replace uh, Seager with at third base if we're all assuming Kyle Seager is not in this for the long haul? Uh, I don't have like a list of people in front of me. My pipe dream has always been Chris Bryant. I don't think Chris Bryant wants to come to Seattle. And frankly, I would not blame him. Um, But I don't know. I'm interested to hear if you guys have any like particular person in mind or if your team, Ty France, can play third base. Definitely not team Ty France can play third base. Not even really team Ty France can play second base, except if you sandwich him between two gold gloves Maybe Ty France can play second base, but I agree. I think no, like I think second base would be harder for him. Oh really? I mean, well, I don't know. I guess I haven't watched him field enough. But so, second base, like you got to turn double plays. You got to be you gotta in be the fast. running game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe he could be a third baseman, but he, no, he can't. I've watched him there. He's bad. No, I think Ty France is your what vocal back was supposed to be like just reliable hitting out of that spot. Maybe he's not as much over the fence power as Vogelback was, but he is such a more productive hitter. So I'm fine with just slotting him in there. They have to do something about third base, whether it's re-sign Seager, which honestly I like as a plan, re-sign Seager, hold him there while you're getting 
whoever, Austin Shenton up through the minors. Noel V, I don't know if he remains a shortstop or if they move him to third, whatever. Whatever they do, whatever in-house options there are, and there aren't many. Uh, maybe a trade. But, like, free agency? What's even out there? Yeah, Chris Bryant is a free agent after this season. But like I said, I don't think that's ever going to happen. The Mariners would have to do really, really well this year to convince Chris Bryant uh, to come play for them. I think Chris, I think his shoulder is ground meat. I'm not, I'm, I'm down on Chris Bryant. I hate to say it because he's fun. And I feel like he's not had as good a tenure in Chicago as he should have had. And that sucks for him, but... Mm. I mean, who is a free agent in 2022-23? Yeah, okay, I got the list here now. Arenado and Chris Bryant are the top two. Uh, <laughs> and Arenado is not opting out. There's no, there's no air. Right. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't then, think so. He's got then it. there's Kyle Seeger. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, nope. he's one year younger than Seeger. Uh, another guy who for sure is not coming, Jose Ramirez. Uh, he's not even. Is he even really a third baseman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he plays third base. I mean, yeah. he do, he plays third base, but does he? It's, play it's his it primary. Well? It's his primary position. Yeah. But does he play it well? I think so. This is a. It's a bleak list. I'm scrolling. It's just. It's there's no one good here. I mean, like Starlin Castro, like on a one year deal, no. maybe. God no, no. Pablo Mm-mm. Sandoval. No! Let's go. <laughs> Let's get the panda. Oh my no, gosh. None of these guys make any none of these guys make any sense at all. Maybe like, they'll have fixed free agency and guys cuz I think it's bad for the sport too that the only people who become free agents are kind of old and you know guys should be able to become free agents earlier and we should have more like big fun blockbuster deals but ooh until that gets fixed I ooh. is there any I think their best route is to either re-sign Seager which again in favor of or trade for somebody. Yeah, are, I agree. Use yeah. some I, of that pitching capital that they have. They have so much pitching capital stored up, and I assume that, and maybe by that point we've seen, like, Gilbert will have made it. Uh, maybe some of the guys who are right behind him, like Kirby, maybe Williamson, maybe Hancock is close. I mean, I don't think you need all of those arms considering what we also have at the major league level and the ability to buy a free agent pitcher, which I think will come much more easily than a free agent third baseman. So maybe you trade that away. I don't know that I have any great trade targets off the top of my head. I know we've talked about Seager for um, Keyboom some. Yeah. And maybe go that like... Because I, I think... Okay, first of all, I think Washington's prospect development player development system sucks they they lucked into Juan Soto he is a just a generational talent who would not kind of like Seager in the Mariners uh, early 2010s could not be yeah, damaged Juan, Juan Soto is a lot like Kyle Seager I, guess. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> I think he is like him in the way that he and I'm sorry for what me yelling at you probably just did to the audio levels but um They are the same in that I think both of them are products, and you could maybe put Trey Turner into this too, but succeeded despite what I think is a lot of objective evidence, at least on the pitching side, that the Nationals have trouble developing prospects. Yeah, Turner was traded there too. Remember that? He wasn't drafted by the Nationals. That's right. Even more evidence. So... I mean, maybe if if they could swing a tr- a trade for Kiboom, I would love that because I love rehabilitating former top prospects. <laughs> I I think that's very fun, and they seem to be good at it. There are also a lot of I I agree that I think unfortunately trading is is the way they should go because yeah I I also do not see Ty France as a, I think Ty France less Vogelbach but more Ryan Healy. Um, <gasps> of, How like, dare you? Well, no, but like you absolutely in no situation could put Daniel Vogelbach anywhere but I'm first pretty base. sure Ty you, France knows what the word facade means. Absolutely. But, <laughs> absolutely. However, you know, Ty France is not disastrous at third base. Ty France is not 
disastrous at second base. He's not good. He's sort of, I would say, Travis Shaw-esque, where it's like, this. you know what you're doing. You know what you're getting if you're putting him out there. You're, you're, you're hoping that they, are, they hit a lot of fly balls today. Um, but, you know, it's it, he should hit enough that it should be fine. Um, but I do think um, guys like Keyboom... Uh, Austin Riley was someone I, I wrote up a whole list of people that they could potentially trade for, um, specifically with Seager in mind. But this could potentially be with the Hanager trade involved as well. That could open up Cleveland and Nolan Jones, who is really good. That could open they up. They would never uh, let Nolan. Jo- no, they will never let Nolan. Jo- He's their Kelnick. They will not let Nolan Jones go. I mean, the price like, the price for Nolan Jones is him. so much more know. than I'm willing to pay. Um, it could be. I think. I mean. I think. I, I think. You know. Certainly, Nolan Jones is better. But that's that's why you're working with Hanniger and and potentially more there. And and you know, certainly. But the my point being, I think that the trading for a young pl- prospect type player is the likelier route than going to free agency for a third baseman, especially because just league wide, like Kyle Seager is a very good player and Kyle Seager might be the 20th best third baseman mm, right now in baseball. Exactly. <laughs> like it's like, it's not like legitimately there's just so much third base talent out there. It's really hard to, if you're not, ahead of the game you're behind at third base and and so you know even if that's like all right maybe you can get jonathan india from cincinnati something like that yeah but it, it they're they're gonna have to i think look externally unless they bring back seager yeah okay let's go to two more um we have another emailer kcv thank you for your email um we had a similar question from our own nat baird hello nat uh, they both asked, what has happened to Shedlong? Is he a part of the roster construction plans for sometime this year as well as the near future? Or has he fallen into the Joe Rizzo? Kate, help me out here. Oubliette? O-U-B-L-I-E-T-T-E. Wow. I've never seen that word. That is a vocabulary word to be sure. Uh well, shout out to KCV using big words on the email machine. That's like, you know the moon door? kind of thing the the moon door from no. game of was that the thing matthew's not a game of thrones okay fellow. well it's like there's a hatch there's a hole in a ceiling and you fall into it they push people into it and then it's only accessible oh, okay. from the yeah so it's like a hole in it's the a, ground yeah. it's a trap door into it like a secret area below. yeah oubliette. classic french thing to oh have. yeah very very extremely french <laughs> Uh, love that usage. Um, so yeah, is is Shed Long in is Shed Long in an <laughs> Love that usage, um, and I think he's just uh, you know the surgery he had takes a long time to recover from, and he was progressing quickly, but then seems to have slowed somewhat. And uh, I don't know. I think he's a little bit fallen into the oubliette in the eyes of the team, just because they weren't super happy with his production um and it's a bummer and we really like shed long as a person so so much and want him to be successful but yeah he definitely i don't think that he's fallen into the oubliette so much as joe rizzo who just seems to be i don't know why the team doesn't like joe rizzo like everything i've seen everything i've heard is that his work on the field his work ethic is unimpeachable. He hits. Like, I, I don't know what more Joe Rizzo could do to make them happy. And I think with Shedlong, it's much more, like, an easy answer as far as, like, the injury just hasn't... He had screws put in his ankle. Like, that takes a long time to come back from. So, I think once the minor league season starts up, we see Shed working his way back. Um, I would I would say his his hole is less deep than the one that Joe Rizzo has to crawl out of, sadly. Yeah, and Dylan Moore does not have a, you know, the leash is not gigantic for Dylan Moore. No, and All Shedlong has to do is show up healthy and perform. More steadily dropped down in the spring training batting order as well, which is something I noted in my stock watch. I hated to do this, but I had to put a down arrow next to him. Uh, He was not... 
great in spring. He struck out a lot in spring training and he made some hard contact and maybe it was just unlucky and there were unlucky outs. Again, when you play in stadiums, there's one stadium in the Cactus League that has StatCast data, as far as I know, um, and that's the Rockies Diamondback Stadium, which is the jewel of the Cactus League, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so we didn't have a lot to go off of, but it wasn't a great campaign for him. So he's fringy enough that, like, Demo has to get it together if he goes out and kind of struggles for most of this year and Shedlong comes back and is playing well in Tacoma, I think there's definitely more of a competition there than what we've seen so far this spring. Beautiful. All right, last question, one that I wanted to save to the end because I think it's like a perfect little podcast question, especially for this episode. This comes from AJ Allen. Uh, they said, what would you define as a successful season this year and who is your prediction for biggest surprise and biggest disappointment. So to me, I've definitely said this before. I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but it's pretty obvious. Like success this season is just seeing tangible improvement from all the important guys, you know, like the Evan White, Crawford, Hanniger, I guess if they don't trade him, Kyle Lewis, Sheffield, Dunn, Trammell, like all the guys who are supposed to be part of this team moving forward. The worst thing that could happen is them getting worse. So as long as they show improvements um, and seem to be like actual big league players who can sort of congeal into that Cubs Astros core that the Mariners seem to think that they're building, um, that is definitely what success is. In terms of wins and losses, I'll say anything above 75 is absolutely spectacular. Uh, what do you guys think? Let's start with the success and then we can get to surprise and disappointments. What is your definition of success for the 2021 Mariners? I think they have to win 75-ish games. Like, 73 is maybe tolerable, but if you dip down to, like, 70 or below, I think that's fairly disastrous just because that means a lot of guys who were supposed to take step forwards didn't or steps forward didn't, or it means that a lot of guys are hurt, and that's also bad. Um, success is, again, seeing Jared Kelnick come up and rake and look like the future, it's having a minor league season and getting to see improvement and, I don't know, just performance from a lot of the guys who are in the pipeline. It's feeling confident about the future instead of scared. Um, Logan Gilbert coming up and being strong and really making that... Uh, having an embarrassment of riches in pitching is, I think, something that really could be a good problem for the Mariners to have, and I will be very interested to because, you know, Paxton looked awesome in his spring training outings. If he stays healthy, Marco just keeps on being Marco. Justice continues to be the person he kind of found, the pitcher he found himself to be last year. Um, gosh, Dunn makes me nervous. The improvements are there. It has to show up on the field. But Nick more cabbages... Marjevicus is a Cabbages. Margavages. We got we got Nikki more Nikki cabbages than Anthony sandwiches. Anthony Sa Sorry, Tony, Tony sandwiches. sandwiches. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's and then you've got Logan Gilbert kind of pushing in the wings and LJ Newsom still hanging. Like there's a lot of depth. So um, I think all of that if all those guys hit and the Mariners are struggling to find innings for all of these productive pitchers that would be to me hugely successful especially considering the fact that they've based so much of this rebuild on pitching which we know is a risky way to do it yeah yeah I mean I, I think the success is it's a little variable but I agree it's in the same range as you guys if they're losing because they're playing well, and then the bullpen's blowing a lot of games. I would not enjoy watching that again, because we did that last year. But that's more encouraging to me than if they just can't hit or Dunn and Sheffield <laughs> take steps back or don't take steps forward. Um, so, yeah, that that's generally where I fall. We haven't it. talked a lot um, about am... Evan White, but I think Evan White being more yeah. of a 40% well, was, yeah. strikeout guy, and like if he doesn't take a step forward, that is just such a black hole in the lineup yeah i i can't it's gotta be you've gotta see evan white and you know a, a decent a high percentage of evan white jp crawford ty france um 
Taylor Trammell, Jared Kelnick, and Kyle Lewis in particular looking like long-term big league players, uh, you know, above exactly. average big league players. Um, and, and I am, you know, for the for all the embarrassment of riches that they do have, I mean, Detroit has a ton of great starting pitchers. Casey Mize looked rough in his in his debuts. Like Alex Fajardo has Tommy John. Uh, Matt Manning will probably debut this year, and we'll see what that looks like. You know, the Braves had a billion starting pitching prospects. Mike Soroka looked great. Now he's getting Tommy John. Tuki Toussaint has strained shoulder, has not been able to put it together. Kyle Wright has kept getting hit around a bunch. Like all these guys, they've had they have one starting pitching they have like max freed and then ian anderson hopefully like you there are so many ways that pitching prospects can fall apart i am not i I really am enthusiastic about all of them but or most of them but there's so many ways it can go awry so i i want to see the guys who are here now or i'm sorry did soroka have tommy john uh, Soroka. He, he sorry, Achilles. 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 Yeah. Torn, Achilles. No, torn Achilles. Sorry, torn Achilles. Yeah. Not, not and he should be back this year and uh, is looking pretty good. I mean, freak injury things aside, like, yeah. That's fair. But uh, they've, they have had a lot of good starting pitching prospects, and not all of them have, have been able to deliver and definitely not have been have not been yeah, able but to like with Freed, immediately freed was yeah immediate freed was real rough for a couple years there and then seems to have settled right. into his groove absolutely but that's like if the mariners are trying to compete this year which we don't think they are that's still a long ways off if they're trying to compete next year that's still a ways off right like unless you have your starting pitchers coming up and performing really 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 quickly so you know these prospects are enticing but like yeah freed freed is a perfect example of like a seventh overall pick who didn't start playing well until he was 26 in the major leagues right like (laughs) um you know and now he's probably quite good but we have to be ready for logan gilbert for emerson hancock for george kirby to be good players eventually, but not have that be three or four more years. And what does the Mar- what do the Mariners do if it does take them that long? So we need, I think, we need to see the position players performing now, so that we can feel confident that there's going to be a foundation for them to ease those guys into. Yeah. Okay. Lightning round. Let's answer AJ's last question. Who's your biggest surprise and biggest disappointment? I'm going to go Evan White for the surprise. I think if you hit the ball as hard as he does, you're going to have success eventually. And then sadly, biggest disappointment. I I have not seen anything from Justin Dunn that tells me he's going to be good yet. So I have to pick him. Oh, those are going to be my picks. Yeah. I think Evan White is on an uptick in spring training. He struck out a bunch less. He looked more like the player he was in the minor leagues. It's small sample size. He obviously wasn't facing, like, the kinds of premier arms that he's going to face this season. I have really high hopes for him, and I think he is a surprising delight. Um, I kind of think I'm worried about Justin Dunn, but just for sake of saying something different, I'll say uh, I'm going to... Maybe it's not even a surprise, but I'm prepared to be disappointed by Tom Murphy. Maybe I'll go with both sides of the catching platoon. Like, Luis Torrens is a surprising delight, and Tom Murphy is a disappointment. Uh, Surprise, positively, James Paxton looks great. Velo's back. I think we get a surprising amount of innings, and they're really quality from him. Uh, Disappointment, Yusei Kikuchi. I think it's, unfortunately, looks like more of the same. Bummer. Well, the Mariners can always pay me $66 million over the next four years. I will happily opt into that. (laughs) Um, Thank you to everyone who opted into this podcast and does so every week. Uh, The questions were great. Keep those coming every week. And happy baseball season. Um, Thank you, as always, for sort of indulging our nonsense and uh, enjoy the season. Any final words from you guys? No. Go man. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I got to agree. <laughs>
It's been you're in no, agreement. Seriously, we want though, the Mariners to do it, well. It's been it's been hard at times, especially this off season. Uh, Stairs and Kevin, Kevin Mather, like it's been hard at times, and it was hard when they didn't invest much money in the team, and it's hard looking at a outside food policy that seems designed to be grandfathered in to keep us from bringing food into the ballpark in the future and uh, all the little things that these, this team does that frustrate us. But then we really do root really hard for the players on the field and the team and, you know, and for our fan base to have success and happiness because we deserve it. You deserve happiness. So true, bestie. All right. Until next time. Goodbye. Oh,